Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to episode 16 of the Grace, Gratitude, and Perseverance podcast. I wanted to just do a little intro before you dive into the actual content of this episode. Um, I started when I started this interview, we always talk, whenever I do an interview, we always talk freely back and forth. And then I either hit record or it's already recording and I cut off the beginning and um, we start, I do an introduction and then we start the recording from there. So you never hear the behind the scenes of the recording starting. Um, But I am so beyond excited to share this episode with you guys that it just took place today. So today is the 3rd of March and I'm going to get it all put together and published here today because it's it's just that incredible. Um, I even saved the behind the scenes. So you get to start out here once you get through this little intro that I don't normally do, but I wanted to give you the intro into why it sounds the way it does and then why there's an intro farther into the recording when you get into it. Um, So Heidi and I, I did a recording today with Heidi um, to share her story and you'll get to hear all about that. I can't wait for you to hear her story. And if you know my story, your mind is going to be blown. We were both, both 39 years old in 2019, living our lives to the fullest, being a mom, a wife, and just living our lives. We were both content. We were happy. Um, We were states apart, but we were just months apart in our lives drastically changing and walking a a parallel life to each other. Um, Because of social media and podcasting, we were pulled together and we now forever had to have a battle buddy. And I want to say a forever friend. I just... I am so blessed and so happy and my heart is so full. I feel so free and light after talking to Heidi today. Um, So please, well, first of all, thank you for pushing play. Please listen to Heidi's story um, and then share this. Uh, Share it on social media. Share it with somebody that might benefit from this. Just share it so that the world can hear her story because it's totally incredible. And as you'll hear, her mindset and her headspace and her view on life is, oh my gosh, we all, I learned so much today from her. And Heidi is absolutely incredible. And like I said, she has made my spirit feel light today. I feel so full of hope. So with that, I decided to not cut off the beginning. And I'm going to give you the behind the scenes and I'm going to give you all of it. So here you go. Enjoy. Hello. Hi. Hi. I was just going to message you, but you made it. Yay. I'm here. here. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing really good. This is exciting. I'm, I'm excited to chat. Like you're my very first fellow Oglio person in the flesh that I've ever talked to before. So this is pretty really? cool. Oh my gosh. That is super cool. Well, I'm glad that we connected. Um, I just love... I don't know. I love hearing other people's stories. I, of course, have shit, you know, I can share mine until I'm blue in the face, but it's always nice to hear somebody <laughs> else's story, especially when there's hope attached to it and mm-hmm. um, just all that good stuff. So you are yep. done with chemo, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. This is hot off the press. Yeah. This is very, very new. I'm, yeah. I'm, like, I'm like three weeks into feeling good. 
Okay. When was your last chemo? It was uh, end of um, January. Okay. Okay. Cool. That's and then I was actually, mm-hmm, okay. I was actually supposed to do another round. And so I was waiting to start a final mm-hmm. round. Um, and so I thought I was still going to be on chemo now, but um, my liver wasn't cooperating. So I actually got out of that one. Oh, okay. So how many, um, I'm going to, I don't want to get too wrapped up in talking before we start. Cause I want to talk about all these things when we're recording, but I could ask you a thousand mm-hmm. questions. So yeah, what, of course. Um, what, um, how many rounds did you have? So I did five, five. total. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's, I have, I'll do number five next week. And mm-hmm. then the goal is to have six. Um, did you do Temadar? No, I did uh, PCV. Oh, okay. So I did PCV, but I did not do, they didn't do the V, which he said they do less and less of. So did you have mm-hmm. all three? Yeah, I had, I had all three. I had, um, I had all of the doses of Lomestine and I had all of the doses, well, for five rounds of the vincristine. Yeah. yeah. And I had, um, the only one that we had to stop was actually the procarbazine. I had an allergic reaction to that in round four. Okay. Okay. Which I guess is not, um, it's not too uncommon. Okay. A lot God, of people are that. so similar. So yeah, I, I, know. Had, I had, um, tem- we were going to do Temadar and I had mm-hmm. Temadar one full round, which was five days in a row. I have mm-hmm. a disorder with my esophagus, which is actually my body makes too many eosinophils, which is ironic because they told me it would never be any cancer concern. Cause I'm like, if my body makes too many cells mm-hmm. with this diagnosis, which is not cancer, do I have to worry about my body being really good at making cancer? And they're like, no, not that we know of. But, oh, inter- um, yeah. So I can't <laughs> swallow any kind of, I mean, I've been completely closed off and had to be taken by ambulance. So uh, everything for me has to be liquid wow. or IV. Um, wow. Oh yeah. my God. I know. So it was scary when we first, before we sat down, even we didn't even know the chemo plan going through radiation because you don't talk about, you talk about it as you got to each step. At least that's how my doctors right. were. So I was like, what if I can't even, like, what if they don't even have a chemo for me that'll get to the brain? And right. they kept telling me to relax. And so I was like, Temadar, they can make an into an IV. So I was like, oh, perfect. Like, save the day. And I did a whole round by IV, which was five days in a row. And then mm-hmm. same as you would do orally, t- 28 off or whatever it is, 23 off. Mm-hmm. And then the second month, 30 minutes in, I had an allergic reaction to Temadar. And so I am doing just the Carmistine, just the C and the PCV. And um, it's been working. I mean, we've had good, you know, as much as you can tell because of inflammation and stuff. But um, so I have four rounds done. So interesting. Ah! So you're, yeah, the end is in sight for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's unbelievable because the, just the whole, you know, when you got to that point where you had to think about, well, how do I get this in my body? Exactly. That's that's another stressor (laughs) as, you know, as part of the journey. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm super excited for this. So I think what we're doing right now, Mm -hmm. we should just record. Um, I definitely, I'll do like a little intro. Where do you live? Remind me again. I live just outside of Seattle. Seattle. Okay. 
And we just, I, I don't, I've connected with quite a few people just because I see their story or they pop up or they're in a group and I'm like, oh, I want to follow this person. So I probably friend requested you. Um, mm-hmm. um, just, I'm just making notes here so that I can do a mm-hmm. good intro. And you are, what grade is your oligo? Grade three. Okay. So you're, you're one grade above me. I'm grade two. Whether or not that, you know, it's just so hard to know, like. Mm-hmm. And I think it change it. It can change. Yeah. Oh, I've read that a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. I just, um, so there's a gal, I'll quick tell you the story. There's a gal that I met at a Brains Together for a Cure walk here in Rochester, um, like last October. And for me, it was the first time hearing a human being share a story that included uh-huh an oligodendroglioma so I was like when she got up to speak she gave her story I was like oh my god oh my god and I was so like engrossed in her story yes and she was diagnosed in 1999 Mm -hmm. so she's now had it for 20 years so I was like oh my god she's alive in the flesh in front of me but reoccurring so powerful I know but six or I think five or six, she's just now, again, five years is the longest she's gone without doing something to manage Mm -hmm. it. And Mm -hmm. she's just now starting to change a little bit. So they're just waiting and watching. Um, Mm -hmm. But also because in 1999, there wasn't Temidar, there wasn't proton Mm -hmm. radiation. So Mm -hmm. she, for the first three or for the first three reoccurrences, their only answer was, we'll just go in and surgically remove it. And Mm so... I'm like, and we're, you and I are so far advanced from that perspective. Yep. And so, and she's still alive and she raised her kids and now she's, you know, and I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) And so it's that hope like, okay, I am, you know, I'm not dying in a year. You know, it's just that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It It took me a long time to, and a lot of work to find those stories, but it's, like that optimistic um, prognosis of a long life, that certainly was not what was presented to me when I was, you know, by the doctors. And really? when I started to kind of like peel back the, all the, you know, when I, I really started to dig into the internet and find some of these other stories, long-term survivors, it was like, oh, and then it just, you know, it really opened up for me from there. And I just did more and more and more research, but yeah. And here's what's crazy. So I was mm-hmm. the opposite. The doctors, once they knew my diagnosis, were very yeah. optimistic. And mm-hmm. I walked out of there feeling like, oh, psh, we got this. You know, this is not even mm-hmm. really that big of a deal. I mean, I knew it was a big oh my deal. Gosh. But, but they, the doctor looked at me and said, if your question to me is, will you watch your children get married someday? I'm, I'll confidently tell you, you will watch your kids get married. And I was like, and my kids wow. are nine and 16 and 17. So I was like, yeah. oh my God, that's, that's all I care about is watching of them. Course, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, so, I really, I would have given anything to have, <laughs> to oh, have had that. No kidding. Yeah. And then yeah, I, I did online, not have and I joined these Facebook groups and I would, and people were asking questions where I was like, did your doctor not go through that with you? Like simple, right. like something you'd go Uh to your doctor and say I'm having this side effect what should I do or something and then um I was reading these terrible stories and I had to stop like I I'm still in some groups but I had to I had to like stop notifications 
And then I had to start digging, like you said, and reading books of people. Like I'm reading a book right now by a lady who had a grade four glioblastoma. Mm -hmm. And she was diagnosed 20 years ago and given, Mm -hmm. you know, like six months. And she's Mm -hmm. climbed mountains and you have to dig for those stories. And then when you're, you find yourself in the rabbit hole, you have to stop, you know? You have to be your own um, filter and just never waver on that. It's so important. Oh, I love that. Okay. So we're going to get started or we'll be on, I could be on the phone with you all day. I'm (laughs) so excited. So um, I will start. I'll, I'll just, when we get, we'll talk here. Oh, actually it says, oh, you know what? It's recording, but that's fine. I can cut the beginning off. Okay. So um, I'll just give like a few seconds space so that I know that that's where we're starting when I go back Mm -hmm. to edit. And then I will introduce you. I'll just give a little, you know, just say we got connected on social media. And then I'm going to ask you to tell me just a little bit about you, a little bit about your life. Like Mm -hmm. nothing can't just, who are you? What's your life like? What does life look like? And Mm -hmm. then talk about when everything just changed. And you can talk. There's no you don't have to watch a time where there's no filter. Mm-hmm. You just share whatever you want to share. And I'll probably have a few, like we've just been doing, we can kind of conversationalize, but I really mm-hmm. want you to share, share it. And then, okay. um, we'll, you know, we'll get to where you are today and, and, okay. um, we'll just go with it. Okay. Are you cool? Yeah, that? that sounds fun. That sounds great. Okay, perfect. So I'm just going to be quiet for a few seconds and then I will start. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Grace, Gratitude, and Perseverance podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Steffes, and I am on cloud nine today. Um, I have a guest with me today. We are going to do an interview, and I cannot wait for you to hear. I'm We're here today with Heidi Franklin, and I can't wait for you to hear Heidi's story. In fact, I don't even know all of Heidi's story, and we chit-chatted a little bit. We've kind of followed each other on Facebook. And then we um, chit-chatted a little bit before we started recording here. And I, I literally am like just super excited. Not because walking through a really hard journey excites me, but because when you can connect with somebody who truly gets what you've been through and gets your journey, it is like opening up a door and a light shining in. And that's what Heidi has been for me, not only ever over the last um, few months, but also today as we've chatted. So she is from Seattle. So we had a little bit of a time change and we have never met in person. We have only connected over social media, which is one of the reasons I absolutely, if you know me at all, I am in love with social media because it can connect us to so many people, so many stories. I have so many friendships with people that I maybe haven't met them face to face, but I feel like I've known them forever and that I would show up for them or fly across the country if need be. And um, it's just a way for us to connect with other human beings, which is, I love that part. But without further ado, I want you guys to hear from Heidi. I want you to hear her story. I want you to kind of put together the pieces and hopefully I can just listen. Not It's hard not to intervene when you get each other. Um, but Heidi, thank you so much for making yourself vulnerable and hopping on today. I'm super excited to have you. Of course. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. 
So I want you to just go ahead, Heidi. I want you to take Mm -hmm. the floor. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what does life look like? What were you doing with life before you kind of had that big plot (laughs) twist in life? Right. Yeah, the big plot twist, the ultimate sort of year-long detour um, as I'm starting to see it now that I'm out of treatment. So just about over, um, okay, so pre-cancer. Heidi, um, I'm a, I was 39 year old working mom, great job, um, in communications that really just inspired and challenged me every day, married for five years to my wonderful husband, Seth. Um, I'm a stepmom to two teenage boys and a mom to a, um, very energetic, awesome, kind three and a half year old. Um, yeah, (laughs) yeah, for sure. And, Let's see, we live, you know, just outside of Seattle. So just, um, you know, we do a lot of boating in the summer and camping and campfires outside and really just, you know, when, when this detour, um, when I arrived at this detour in my life, I was really at this place of, of just real contentment. My life felt very full, still does, but, um, you know, I just, I busy and full and just happy mom. Um, just, you know, doing the mom thing. Awesome. So, um, yeah. So, um, did you know that I was 39 as well? Oh, did I did not know 40? that. Did you turn 40 yet? Yeah. Yes, I did. I turned 40 right after radiation. So that was, okay. it was definitely not the way I planned to spend my 40th. That's okay. I'll, I'll get a redo at some point. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Same here. Mine was just this past January. So, um, and I turned 40. So yeah. Okay. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. So just over a year ago, January, 2019, just a bit after Christmas, you know, early January, um, I felt great, not a symptom in sight. Um, I was just, you know, working one morning and I remember feeling particularly good that morning. I was just really inspired and challenged by a project I was working on and my brain felt sharp and I felt energized. I took a quick break from work and jumped on my spin bike for a little exercise and just a bit into my, um, into my spin class, all of a sudden my, this is really hard to explain. My left cheek went, um, just imagine if your left cheek just like violently, rises up almost like half of your face is in a joker mask like I you know and this was I had no control over the movement and what I was experiencing which I didn't know at the time but what I was experiencing was a a partial seizure so you you know seizures come in all shapes and sizes of course and this one I didn't lose consciousness I was aware of everything that was going on but I had no control over the um, movement on the left side of my face and my cheek over the next minute or so just went up and down and up and down and up and down. And it was hard to breathe and I couldn't talk. And it was one of the most frightening minutes of my entire life. It was just, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you've never had a seizure before, you don't know what it is when it's happening. It was just, um, right. Really wild. So I, I unclipped from my spin bike. I could kind of see the reflection of my face and in my, um, (laughs) the monitor of my spin bike and I got myself to the nearest bathroom just to see what was happening. And it eventually subsided. And I was like, oh, my God, what <laughs> what just happened? Do I call 911? What do I do? So I called my husband. He came home from work. 
Um, we still didn't know it was a seizure. I kind of was stuck on this word spasm and I started of course, yeah. just sure. Googling like crazy, like, you know, spasm on half side of my face, that sort of thing. Yeah. And for the rest of the day, I felt like, um, I just felt exhausted. I had that sort of post migraine feeling just like real mental fatigue. I think I took a nap. Um, and that was it for that day. And then, um, the following day, now my husband was home with me and I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to jump on the spin bike again and get my heart rate up and just see if the same thing happens. And sure enough, the same thing happened. And so this time my husband was able to, I ran upstairs mid seizure and I was able to show him what was going on. Um, and it was, you know, same thing lasted for about a minute. Um, so now Monday I get myself into urgent care. We do blood work. Um, everything comes back normal. They send me home and, um, you know, I'm really, it was a very, very strange period because I had never had a serious health issue in my entire life. <clears throat> I didn't even have a primary care doctor, which, you know, not good, but I just didn't, you know, I had a gynecologist and <laughs> I did an OBGYN when I had my kid and I just, it was just really frightening because I knew I knew deep down that this was serious. I could just feel it. Mm -hmm. it, was, it and um, I really couldn't concentrate on anything else. But I also had only had these seizures so far when my heart rate was elevated during exercise. Sure. So I was, I was kind of stuck on this thought that it was, it was cardiac related somehow. Mm -hmm. And in urgent care, I think the doctors were, were stuck on that as well um, and weren't really exploring anything beyond that. So I actually... Um, couple days later, went on a, on a work trip down to California and was working with a client and um, had my first seizure absent of any sort of exercise or activity. You know, we're just sitting there working together yeah. and all of a sudden I have, um, th at this point, this would be like my fourth or fifth seizure. And it was, of course, just absolutely humiliating <laughs> to be there with a client. And sure. all I could do and was... were they the same? <laughs> were they the yes. same thing or had it progressed yes. at all? Okay. Um, it was the same thing. This seizure was pretty, um, it had, it progressed a little bit. It was, it was one of the more intense ones that I had. They were all about the same length of time, maybe one to two minutes. Um, really hard to breathe during these okay. and, and I couldn't speak. So as I'm sitting across the table from my client, I'm hiding my face with one hand and with my other hand, I'm just giving her the thumbs up like over and over and over because she doesn't know, should she call an ambulance? <laughs> like, what is, what is happening here? And so that was just terrible because, you know, I just, you know, I couldn't keep up any sort of sense of like professional, <laughs> professionalism yeah. or it was just right. terrible. It was really scary, vulnerable moment. Um, and once it, once it passed, I explained to her what had been going on and she was extremely uncomfortable. And, um, I don't, I don't fault her for this at all. I think, I think, you know, when you're with someone that you're not really close to, you know, it was a professional relationship and then you, I don't know, it's almost like you, we don't really want to, um, it's hard to think about serious health problems. And she just witnessed oh, something sure. that was scary and, and alarming and, she just kind of wanted to like move along with the day as business as sure. usual. And so, um, so she suggested that we go out to lunch, which I was not up to, but I was just trying so hard to hold it together and, and, um, 
And, and you were yeah. away from home. So yeah. Where, you know, even if you decided to go somewhere for medical attention, where? Because mm-hmm. you're not even at home. Yeah. Yeah. I was two states away. I was all alone. It was, it was. Oh my gosh. Um, and it was, you know, looking back, I probably still would have gotten on the plane because again, I thought, I, I thought it was cardiac related. So I thought, okay, as long as I just read, you know, take it easy, don't do any exercise. I thought I'd be all right. But here sure. I am down in California all alone and it's still going on. And now I'm kind of like, oh my gosh, how do I get myself home? So she, my client wants to go out to lunch and we went um, to a restaurant and about halfway through lunch, I said, listen, I just have to be honest. I am not right right now. Um, I can't hold a conversation. I, I need to get myself back to Seattle. So we went back to her office and she found a little place for me to rest. And I immediately fell asleep <laughs> for yeah. a couple of hours. My flight wasn't until that night. Sure. And I, then I got myself to the airport, you know, I Ubered to the airport got my, um, I was on the flight. I had a little note typed up on my iPad just in case I had another seizure and I needed to let the person next to me or the flight attendant know that I was okay. I had a little note typed out, like, listen, I'm having a seizure. I can't speak, but it'll be over in a minute or so. So it was just, it was a really, I'm just sharing that little detail just because it was a very scary, strange day, you know? And very surreal. I'm sure like you're doing these things to protect yourself and to give somebody a heads up if need be, but also not, I mean, this is your life within a matter of just a few days. So yeah, exactly. Oh my all new. This is all yeah. new. So this is only about five days after that very first seizure. So, sure. um, I finally get myself home at about two o'clock in the morning and I just collapse into, you know, into my husband's arms, like, Oh my gosh, I just cannot believe I'm home. And then over the next couple of days, same thing. The seizures were, um, they were popping up. They would occur without exercise, just when I was sitting there on the couch and they were, they weren't intensifying, but they were increasing in, um, in, uh, what am I trying to say? In frequency. So oh, I was, sure. I was yeah, starting to have multiple a day. Yeah. And, um, this, went on for the weekend and then finally Monday morning, which was president's day. It's a lazy morning at home. My husband had the day off and we're just sitting around drinking coffee and I had three seizures before noon. So we said, okay, like, you know, it's emergency room time. So we hopped in the car, went to the ER and we had the seizures recorded at this point. Um, and I'm so glad we did that because it was really helpful for the for the ER doctor. I had the most kind ER doctor you've ever met. He would just listened to everything I said, took me really seriously. And um, meanwhile, he as soon as he leaves the room, he's on the phone with a neurologist getting mm-hmm. his opinion over the phone. And they're, you know, they're commiserating and they decide to send me into an MRI. And so they <clears throat> they wheel me down the hall. I get my MRI. And, um, and then they take me back to the room and I was all alone when the doctor and the nurse came back in and told me that there was a tumor because my husband and my my little boy were, um, went and got a snack. So I was, (laughs) so then I was sitting there like, oh my gosh. Um, and they, they were just, they were so kind. The doctor came in and he was actually, um, crying and he was just, just a really kind soul. I'll, I'll really never forget him. And then my husband and son came back and I had to, you know, 
sharing the news with them. So at that point, I was, you know, very quickly, um, there was a, a hustle and a bustle of admitting me. You know, I'm, I'm admitted to the hospital at that point, and they're giving me an IV, and they're getting me ready to to transport to Seattle. So we live just across the water, um, okay. just outside of Seattle, and they needed to get, and it's, you know, it's kind of a smaller regional hospital, and they sure. needed to get me to a more major hospital. So I was transported by ambulance, you know, no lights on, but, um, um, you know, still not, Medical still within their care. Yeah. yeah. And um, we went to, so I, they transported me to um, Harborview, ER, which is a major Seattle in, or a major hospital in downtown Seattle and major trauma center. So that was a real experience to be in that, <laughs> that, sure. um, that ER. And I had <clears throat> more MRIs, another seizure there. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was at that point, everything just moved really quickly and it was just extremely surreal. Um, I spent the night in ICU. I think that was less because it was less less of um an issue of their worry about me and more of that was the only bed they had Um, and so you know my case at some point within i'd say the first 24 hours was evaluated by a a neurosurgeon over at university of washington which is in the pacific northwest that's the the largest brain tumor center and um which, and of course, I know none of this at the time. I don't even know that if you have a brain tumor, you need to be seen at a brain tumor center or where to go. So it was just all of these, you know, all of these people in the hospital got me eventually to where I needed to be. So that was I'm just right. so grateful for that, that piece yeah. of it. And, you know, um, I have to intercept you quick before yeah. we get too, too far in. Um, and I had to pull myself together because I was sitting over here sobbing. Oh, <laughs> but, um, yeah. It's hard for me to get through that. Yeah. Part, part of my story. And I've always, I've always told it like it was a, um, like it was a downfall. I don't know the right word, mm-hmm. but I had had three major seizures on in one day. And that led me to the ER and I was unconscious and had actually urinated myself. And I still was like, I don't know what this is. Something is going on. So when you say until you've had one and you know what it is, like, I didn't even realize that I was having minor ones after brain surgery until Mm -hmm. I was more educated. And then I was like, Oh, that's Mm -hmm. what all that weird stuff was happening. Um, They just were minor seizures. But when you say you were so I had these seizures. I'm in the ER. I've had a, I hadn't had an MRI yet, but I had a CAT scan. It's almost midnight and I'm so tired. Like you said, mm-hmm. just completely like wiped out. Can't mm-hmm. even really hold a conversation. Your brain is just, I mean, quite mm-hmm. literally fried. There's mm-hmm. no better way to say it. But part of my speech when I share is that my husband has taken that burden and carried it the whole time because I don't remember a lot of that. I, they came in and said, we found a tumor on your wife's brain and he took the blunt and probably had to like, and I probably was like, okay, now what? You know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't even really care because I didn't know enough to have, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure I got emotional and was like, you know, but I don't remember mm-hmm. a lot of that. And he has carried that all along because he's the one that had to call family and whatever. And so I cannot, I cannot fathom 
it being a different way. And I've never thought about it being a different way. But mm-hmm. the fact that you were in the room by yourself yeah. after being after everything you've gone through and that's nobody's fault. It just is the way it happened. And then you having to give your husband the news. I just, I want to tell you that I, my heart breaks for you. And I know that's part of your story now, but what a heavy, heavy burden because I, yeah. So now I look at my own story and I'm like, Oh, actually, okay. I'm going to take it as a blessing that I was kind of out of it. Not that I want to put that on him, but that is so much for you to hold. And so I just wanted to point out oh, that part. Yeah. Thank really, you for, yeah. Very heavy. Thank you for anyway, you, appreciating yeah, that. Because my, I, I remember when the doctor just looked at, when he told me this, when he said those words, the very first thing that popped into my head, and I'll cry here a little bit, um, was, oh my God, now I have to tell my husband that I have a brain tumor. Right. And we immediately think, I mean, I think anytime you hear the, I, it took me a long time to get over the intensity of the words brain, brain cancer put together because anything with your brain, I, in the beginning, I was like, I would rather have it anywhere else. Now we can get to this later, but I don't feel that way so much anymore. I don't feel so much anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I'd rather have it anywhere else. I'm okay with it staying where it's at, mm-hmm. but um, when you hear anything with the brain, you mm-hmm. immediately feel like it's a death sentence. Oh yeah. It's so, I completely relate to that. It's just extremely dramatic. Heavy. Brain tumor, yeah. brain like, cancer. Like I have don't to, know. It's, anytime I, <laughs> I, and just like you, Jenny, I, I don't feel that way anymore, you know, because we've, we've both gone through a, pro- a long process of acceptance. Right. But yeah, I see right. it now. I have moments all the time where I witness other people's reaction. They're flinching to those words. I, I recently had a, just a routine doctor's visit, which fe- when you have a neuro oncology team, these other primary care visits seem very boring and <laughs> right. <laughs> right? <laughs> mundane. And the nurse was just, you know, uh, before my mammogram, she was just going through her standard set of questions. And one of them was, are you or anyone close to you currently going through cancer treatment? And I just said very matter-of-factly, well, I mean, I was preparing her. I said, well, this is going to sound very dramatic, but I'm currently going through treatment for breast cancer or for brain cancer. And she was just, she didn't know what to do. Yeah, and I don't You're feel so that way. Yeah. I don't even prepare them. I just say yes. I have brain cancer. I'm going through treatment, and the response people give you, but I you just kind of ignore it. And her party wants to like comfort them and say, "No, really, I'm okay." Right. And I I think we downplay stuff too, especially yeah. as moms. Mm-hmm. We're getting totally off track. I knew we do this, but I think as moms and wives and caretakers ourselves mm-hmm. in life as women. Mm-hmm. We downplay it, be- not yes. d- just because we do want to protect others and we do want to live our life day to day, not freaking mm-hmm. out about what may happen in three years or five years mm-hmm. or 10 years or whatever. But um, I think that's funny that because I haven't, I don't, I just say it like, <laughs> yeah, yeah brain cancer, and you get a look like, and or I mean, people, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Right, and they look right. at you like you're going to die in a few months. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah. yeah I'm just here for my child's checkup or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. I'm totally fine. I drove here. Yeah. It's anyway, just an immediate change back. in body language. Yes. I want to get back to you. So you're at the U of Washington. It's the largest mm-hmm. grocery center. You said mm-hmm. you were saying you didn't realize that that that's what you needed when you were when you right. were to I want to get back to that part of your story. Right. So they somehow got me to, you know, the hospital that I needed to be at. And yeah. behind the scenes, a neurosurgeon um, who he picked up my case and showed interest in it. And um, he's amazing. I'm so lucky that I that that I got him as my surgeon. He as I understand it, um, I was in a serious and I was not an emergency case. I did not need emergency surgery, but it was serious enough that I stayed in the hospital. You know, they didn't send okay. me home. Until and surgery. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I was in um, the hospital for five days waiting for my surgery. And um, he, so meanwhile, the surgeon is, and he's checking on me every, you know, a few days or so. And he's giving me updates. He's like, I'm trying to get you in. And because again, it's just, you know, these other emergencies pop up and they take my spot and, you know, all that sort of thing. So eventually I get, um, and he wanted to do mine. He wanted to give me a morning um, time slot. So he would be very fresh. So I was very grateful. I was like, yes, great. No (laughs) kidding. (laughs) Yes, please. I'll be your first brain surgery of the day. So um, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh Maybe you're getting to this. I apologize if I'm jumping ahead. No, no. Where... So your tumor was on the right side of your brain. Yes. Correct? Yes. Right okay. frontal lobe. And it's in the area of the brain that controls movement on the left side of my body and um, specifically the left side of my face, which is why I had the seizures on the left side of my face. Okay. So before I, maybe this is part of your story, but I want you as you move forward to kind of touch mm-hmm. on this because I'm super interested. So Mine was considered inoperable because it's sitting right on the motor strip. So my Mm -hmm. seizures started in the right arm and then would move to the leg and then the whole right side and I lost consciousness. Um, It is sitting also super close. It had not affected speech. It had not Mm -hmm. affected eating or movement of my mouth by any means. However, because it's affecting like your face Mm -hmm. and then I'm thinking about my own story where I'm like, they were not, they were not in the place where they wanted to go in and try and remove it. They wanted to Mm -hmm. just get biopsies. So when I had surgery and ironically mine was, I went in on a Sunday, I did come home on Tuesday, saw neurosurgery on Wednesday. I had brain surgery to just get biopsies. They got six biopsies on Friday. Uh But I want you to kind of touch base on that and kind Uh of what they did. And maybe you already were going to but I'm super interested just mine's on the opposite side mine's on the left effect in my right Uh side. Um, I'm feeling I feel like mine's it's a little farther back than yours, but they've got to be somewhat close in Uh location because Uh of my mouth being a concern, your face is the one mm-hmm. that had seizures. And so anyway, mm-hmm. keep going. But I just want you to touch on that when you get to the surgery part. Yeah, yeah. So the um, from everything I've gathered and, and my memory of being in the hospital and just any conversations sure. we had leading up to surgery, it seemed to be the location of my tumor seemed to be um, no one seemed to be super concerned about like, it seemed like it was located in a pretty desirable area as far as brain okay. tumors go. It's 
close to the skull. It was very close to the skull. Um, and it wasn't near, um, I don't believe it was, it was really just, they were telling, what they were preparing me for was some loss of function or mobility on the left side of my body. Okay. And okay. my surgeon told me that I would probably, um, I might experience some loss of mobility in my left hand and that it would probably most likely return slowly because, um, he told me oftentimes the other side of the brain will sort of pick up the slack at some point. And he said that the left side of my face, so like my, my mouth movement, he said, I will probably, I'm not going to look exactly the same and I will probably, um, you know, have some differences there, maybe some loss of mobility, but eventually the other side of my brain will step up and, and kind of help that out. Um, and okay. restore most of my ability to move. And that's exactly what has happened. My really, my only, um, my only, I don't know if you can even call it a deficit, but really the only kind of lasting change from my surgery is that my smile is just a little bit crooked. Okay. And, but after surgery for the first time, what about your left hand? Cause my, my right left hand, hand is totally fine. Um, it's okay. totally fine for 24 hours after surgery. I I couldn't really move my, my whole left arm was really limp and I couldn't grip anything. You know, I definitely okay. couldn't hold a cup or anything like that. And I couldn't, um, I couldn't grip the walker. Um, okay. but that came back very quickly while I was still in the hospital. Okay. And I'd say to this day, my balance is probably not quite where it was on that side of my body. Um, sure. But it's not, it's nothing super drastic. And I think you, I think you like compensate for it because I have had some balance issues and it seems to be mo like right after chemo, like I'll mm-hmm. just really weird stuff that you, you mm-hmm. probably totally understand, yeah. but it's hard to, yes. and then now I'm like, gosh, I think I'm, I think it's getting way better. But now mm-hmm. after I have another round of chemo next week or so, I'm sure mm-hmm. it'll you know, it's just that inflammation and it affects your brain, but mm-hmm. okay. So you're going in, what day did you have surgery? They January, in- mm-hmm. January 26th, 2019. Okay. It was a Saturday morning. Okay. Yeah. So and- a week later, a week after you went to the yeah. ER. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That was just a very, that was a strange week. I was on medic, you know, very medicated the whole week. They didn't want me having more seizures. Um, I felt really headachy. I just wanted to get this over with. Yeah. And, with. and um, so I had my surgery. It was only about four hours, which I've since learned is um, on the shorter side for brain surgeries. So everything went, they were really happy with the way everything went and they were able to get everything that you can see on an MRI. Wow. Mm-hmm. But of course, as you know, with oglios, we don't have um, clearly defined boundaries. The doctors right. were really, they were very clear with me about this, that um, they, they can try as hard as they can to get everything they can see, but there's always going to be some cancer cells left over. Mm-hmm. So um, here's where I think mm-hmm. we share what your diagnosis was, because for mm-hmm. people listening, they don't know. We have the same diagnosis with the exception of a grade. So mm-hmm. I was diagnosed with a grade two oligodendroglioma and you mm-hmm. 
were a grade three mm-hmm. oligodendroglioma. So mm-hmm. we have, which is that exception of the grade, um, which mm-hmm. just means yours can contain some kind of cells that just grow a little more aggressively than mm-hmm. what mine did. Um, mine was starting to grow um, blood vessels, which is, they oh, told okay. me that was the main reason why they, they gave me that designation. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. So it was yeah, starting, okay. which of course okay. can be a indicator of it's becoming more aggressive and it can really just yeah. start growing. I should also, um, I did not know at this point going into surgery that it was cancerous. I did not know if it was benign or malignant. And I, that's the same way I was. How long mm-hmm. did you have to wait? So I had surgery on, um, I was, I went into the ER on the 6th. Mm-hmm. I was told that that was a Sunday. I was told on Wednesday they were not comfortable. I mean, it was not, it was my decision, but we made the decision together not to try and remove the tumor and only to take biopsies. Mm-hmm. Um, came home, had surgery on Friday, came home, and they told me they would know within a week or so. But what they missed explaining was, but to to make sure we don't like give you the wrong diagnosis, we mm-hmm. are going to wait till we have every pathology report back. Mm-hmm. So I had an appointment scheduled. So that was April 12th, April 25th. So 13 days later, mm-hmm. I had an appointment to see the oncologist and to get, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of come up with a plan. I thought we would know before that, like, is it cancer? Is it not cancer? Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, what grade is it? What, what are we dealing with here? And because patholo- pathology reports did not come out until the 24th. I had mm-hmm. an appointment on the 25th. So for 13 days, I mm-hmm. just was at home. Yeah. I had a little minor seizure activity, um, but literally living the unknown and yes. wondering like, who's yes. going to raise my kids? Who's going to, who is my husband going to remarry? What <laughs> is life going to look like when I'm gone? Because you don't know. Yeah. So you kind of, you go in between, nope, we've got this. This is, the, I'm going to yep. think positive. I've got this. And then you go down that rabbit hole and you're like, oh, yeah. But what know. if, what if it is? If the... Yeah. Yeah. So what, after you had surgery, how long did you have to wait to find out what it, it was? And that mm-hmm. it, was indeed it was very similar to your experience. It was just about two weeks and okay. um, leading up to it, they, <laughs> you know, I got, I, I was contacted at some point in that two week period from University of Washington just to set up my appointments and the yeah. nurse, it was, the, it was the nurse of my neurosurgeon. And she said, okay, so, you know, you're first, you're going to come in and meet with the neurosurgeon and he's going to give you your, your pathology. And then in the afternoon, you're going to go meet with Dr. So-and-so, the oncologist. And then, and I said, whoa, 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 whoa wait a second here. What? <laughs> the oncologist? I said, does that sure. mean that I have cancer? You know? And she said, um, she said, we, we make these appointments ahead of time. I, I know now that she already knew. Everybody already knew what I had. Okay. I could, reflecting back on my conversations with my neurosurgeon, he was very confident with um, what I had just by looking at the scans. So, yeah, our, um, mine too. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, and he, I can tell that he was, you know, he was handling me with kid gloves. He never used the C word, but he was definitely preparing me for a cancer diagnosis. And, um, I think he did a pretty good job with that, but this was, um, anyway, so I, 
the, the seeds were starting to be planted. Oh my God, I, ha- I have to meet with an oncologist. What? Because I, my, I, I actually um, dealt that period of waiting. I dealt with it a little bit differently than you did, Jenny. I, I took more of a, it's almost like my brain couldn't even fathom having brain cancer. And I, I couldn't out. even really go they there yet. They took it out. They they took took it out, out yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and I felt like didn't I didn't really go there yet. Out, I won. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew that this, I still had this major hurdle ahead. And I remember like it was yesterday, what my headspace was like. I remember feeling very pleased with how I was recovering from surgery. It went a lot better and quicker than I expected. And I was feeling strong and I was taking long outdoor walks every day. And I just was you know, oh, I just have to, you know, get through this pathology meeting and then I'm going to move on. We can put this behind me. And so that's where I was. So I, I wasn't total sense. Mm-hmm. Cause you, I wasn't, the, mm-hmm. the difference is you went into surgery, they took it out and then told mm-hmm. you we got, you know, we got as much as we could. We got most of it. We're happy. Like we won mm-hmm. and yep. where mine was, we got biopsies and now we got to wait and then decide what we're going to do. And, and so it's, it's still in you. different. Yeah, totally different. It's still there. It's, you have, you know, that you have something within you, within your brain that you have to deal with. And I kept right. hearing, oh, the surgery was a success. Yeah, success. We're super happy with it. Blah blah blah. And meanwhile, I was, I was very much like, okay, let's get this recovery on the road. I want to get stronger and um and get back to work. I was talking with coworkers and. And, um, yeah, I'll probably be back at work in March sometime. And, you know, just really not, not, um, even rolling around in my head, the idea that this was the beginning surgery was just the beginning for me and I wasn't quite ready to go there. Um, and then when I got the pathology, so now we're, you know, we're two weeks later. So those two weeks were actually, (laughs) it's, this might sound just really strange, but I look back on that period really um like almost fondly it was like it was like the the um before the um I lost just like any I don't know I was like innocent Heidi like oh sweet innocent Heidi like before before things really changed for me and I um I was confronted with with you know no this is this is a malignant cancer diagnosis so we got yeah. this, my, my neurosurgeon, um, you know, we touched on this a little bit earlier. Like my, when he delivered the news to me, it was very matter of fact, it was not presented in any sort of optimistic light. Um, he, he told me I had 10 years and I don't, I don't know if he meant I have 10 years before recurrence or I have 10 years period. I'm not sure, but that's, that's what, that's what he told me. Those were his words. He said, well, like I, you know, like I, like I suspected it's Oglio, it's grade three. Um, and I think I, I think, you know, I just immediately started crying and, you know, he, just like in the movies, he just like (laughs) passes me a box of tissues and, and then, um, and I said, well, I don't know. I think I mustered something like, well, am I going to die soon? Or like, what, like, what, what are you telling me? It's just, I didn't even know what he was telling me. And he told me that, um, I had 10 years 
And he never used the cancer word. He just used the, you know, clinical diagnosis words. So that was our visit with him. And my husband and I had planned on now going out to lunch. We had a couple hours before this appointment with the oncologist. Hearing myself like recount this part of the story, it just sounds so silly. Like, how did I not realize, like this should have been smacking me in the face that this was cancer, but I was clinging so desperately to the idea that it wasn't malignant. So of my course. husband, well, and I you had every and, reason to, yeah, every reason to, and bedside matter, bedside behavior, whatever they call it, it mm-hmm. really matters because it's so crazy how this little part of our story, mm-hmm. you went through that two week waiting period, like I've got this, it's gone. I'm going to just mm-hmm. move on with my life. I'm going to get stronger and we're going to move on. And this is a story I'm going to tell. Where I was like fighting the, is it cancer? Is it not cancer? It's still in my head. What are we going to do about this? There's going to have to be a treatment. But you walked in expecting, okay, I'm just going to find out we're done. And this mm-hmm. is what, you know, I'll come back and have a scan and to whatever, whatever mm-hmm. you expected. And I walked in, I had, um, and it was probably just feeling better, getting better. The end of the two weeks, I too was starting to feel like, gosh, I'm feeling better. Mm-hmm. And, um, I walked in, like I actually posted on Facebook, I have my positive pants on today. We're getting good. Like I knew we were getting good news. I knew we Mm -hmm. were, I still got a cancer diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually they didn't even say cancer. Like you said, Mm -hmm. he just said, here's what it is. It's a grade two oligodendroglioma. Here's where it's at. Here's what the, here's what the pathology says. Mm -hmm. Um, yada, yada, yada. And then when I asked that question, like, okay, well, what, I mean, I'm a mom and I, and you don't yeah. know how to ask it. What's my prognosis is yes. what I was asking, but I, I didn't know how to ask. And he said, right. I know what you're trying to ask me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if your question is, and he of course asked about our family. So he knew we had teenagers, but he knew mm-hmm. we had nine-year-old twins. And he said, if your question to me is, will you be around to watch your kids get married I will confidently tell you that you will watch all of your children get married so he didn't didn't give me like 10 years 20 years Mm -hmm. he didn't even say this might come back and Mm -hmm. then when I asked it and when I asked them what is this cancer they said well let's let's explore that Mm -hmm. what is cancer really Cancer is accumulation of cells in a part of your body that should not be there. And we need to do something about it. So we need to do something about this. So I was in the way that they presented it to Mm -hmm. me. I walked out like, I don't really know if I have cancer or not. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. now I know a little more, but, and I'm going to watch my kids get married Mm -hmm. and I have to go through, through some treatments and I'm probably going to feel like crap, but I'm on top of the world where your world like went Mm -hmm. from. It's gone. Mm-hmm. We're going to move on to shattering. I mean, in my world, you know, 10 years, you know, I, at the time I had a two and a half year old little boy, 10 years yeah. is not, you know, on one you hand, it's not just tomorrow. Add 10 years to your kids. You just take oh, your yeah. kids' age, add 10 years, and then that's all you got. And that's yep. not long enough. Yeah, that, that was really hard. And it's because of the way the news was presented, it took me a really long time and a lot of effort to get to the like the headspace that you're describing of, of being able to see like see the positive parts of it and and that's okay 
you know, because I, I ended up in a, in a, I feel really good about my outlook now and, and, and all of that, but man, it was, it was, they weren't doing me any favors with the way they presented it. Right, at the time. Right. It was really hard. And then my, my husband and I, we, you know, it was, this was a distressing meeting, of course, but the word cancer had still not been used. And so when we're done, you know, my husband and I look at each other and we're like, well, what, what do we do now? I, I guess we just go to lunch. So we, cause sure. we were going to go to lunch. So we, we went to lunch and we just sat there and, and I said, um, did he just tell me that I have brain cancer? And my husband was like, I have no idea. Like we just didn't even know what to do with that information. And I, I imagine that you went through kind of this long sort of complicated acceptance process too, of like accepting that you have cancer. It's sort of like, I don't know, figuring out how a new suit or a new outfit fits you, or it was like trying trying a new sort of identity on and you, yeah. you know, we can choose how much we let that like penetrate. Right. But For sure. it was very, um, it was, I didn't even know it was, it took me a long time to figure out what to do with that information. Like, wow, I have cancer. And my whole life story has completely changed. I think mm-hmm. that was the hard part too. Like I can, I can deal with, okay, I had cancer. I went through treatment. But because they never put brain tumors in remission, we just are mm-hmm. stable. Mm-hmm. And, you, and once I learned that piece of information, like, nope, you'll just be stable and you could stay yeah. stable for three years, five years, 10 mm-hmm. years, 20 years, but you'll never be in remission. You'll never be cured. I was like, yeah. so this, like you said, becomes your identity and something you will forever. It's a chronic disease always that we have. will forever, mm-hmm. ever have, always have to maintain and manage and do treatment again, probably at some point for, and to fit. And I'm finally, I'm finally just now, mm-hmm. I think, I think because I say that, but then I have a bad day starting mm-hmm. to get to the acceptance place. Mm-hmm. It takes a while. It yeah. takes a long time. It's like picking up. I just remember in those early days after my diagnosis, it just felt like I picked up this huge bag of rocks and just Mm. like threw it over my shoulder. And I knew that I was never again going to be able to set him down for the rest of my life. And it was Mm. just, it was, that was so heavy. It was, it was hard to deal with the now, but it was also hard to deal with this idea that, you know, my future self would still be dealing with this heaviness, this burden. Mm -hmm. And that, that burden has gotten so much lighter over the last year. And so that's, and so I, you know, we just carry on and it gets better. And it's just, it's through that process of acceptance that, that those burdens do feel lighter and lighter and lighter. And it becomes part of you, who you are. Mm -hmm. This, you know, I have cancer. I'll always have brain cancer and, and that's okay. But it certainly Mm -hmm. didn't feel that way at first. It was, it was, oh my gosh, it was just very heavy and, and really hard to, to wrap my head around. Yeah. How did your meeting app? So you went to lunch and then you went back mm-hmm. and met with the oncologist and how did that mm-hmm. go? I mean, was that better or? Um, well, so at this point, so we, we were almost, the two of us were, were kind of like deers in headlights and, and it was a lot of information thrown my way. Um, they, you know, told me about 
it was, it was, you know, the tone of the conversation was very different because there was, um, it was not, they weren't helping me along with this sort of like, okay, Heidi, you realize you have brain cancer. It was more like, okay, you have brain cancer. Now here's what we're going to do about it. So I had to do just some really quick catching up, you know, (laughs) I was still just sort of reeling from, I didn't even know what was happening. It was just, um, it was a lot. And they presented two main treatment plans to, you know, two different kinds of radiation, photon, proton, and then two different kinds of chemo, um, you know, TMDR or PCB. And, um, and I needed to pick the combination of those. And so that was it like, was it's like story. picking out a shirt, like which one looks best to you? And you're like, yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You have no idea. And it was just information overload. And I, I had not done any research going into this meeting because, well, I didn't know the pathology. I had never even heard the word Oglio before. So I wouldn't have even known where to start with the research. So it was, it was just a lot, but, um, I remember feeling it. You didn't have time. Yeah. It's all, it all moves so fast. So fast. So fast. And I had been just, I had been so laser focused on recovering from my surgery. And that's just something that is, um, you know, we have surgery. It's a lot more black and white. And then you recover and you get better and you move on with your life. Cancer treatment is just so much messier. It's long. It's, it's unclear. The unexpected always happens. And so surgery recovery to me was just really like, like I got this, I'm taking my walks every day and I'm getting stronger. And now, now it was just, I, it just was clear to me at the end of that day that, oh my God, brain surgery was just the start and maybe not even the hardest part. And, um, and and here I am a year later, it definitely was not the hardest part. Brain surgery. I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so, you know, you think just like, like the words with, you know, we were talking earlier about some words that carry shock value yeah. and brain surgery. People are just like, they stop in their tracks and, and, you know, and I did too. I just remember feeling kind of like, oh, I'll be able to make brain surgery jokes for the rest of my life. Like, you know, yeah. survive that. But the truth is that that was just day one and it was the beginning. And I, there was so much more um, ahead that was even harder. Yeah. So anyway. So what um, radiation did you, you went, what radiation did you go with? So I did proton and that okay. was, that was the first decision I made. And that really affected. Now I just started with what I felt strongly about and I didn't know yeah. about, I, I, I really couldn't, the chemo to me was kind of a coin toss, but I knew I wanted proton radiation. And um, so what I did was University of Washington is a research hospital and I was eligible to be in um, two different studies. And if I enrolled in the chemo study, which is they're studying um, um, Timidar versus PCB. Mm-hmm. And if I was, if I enrolled in the chemo study, I would be able to get proton radiation Mm-hmm. For sure, because sometimes insurance won't cover that. Yeah. Um, so that was that made my decision for me. So basically, so a computer decided which kind of chemo I was going to get. Um, sure. And then I I did the the proton. Okay. And then the other and reason why I, 
yeah, good. The the other reason I I opted to do the chemo study was because to me it was an almost impossible decision. Timidar is supposed to, you know, it's, a, it's more well tolerated, but it's also much less studied and we don't know, you know, um, we believe it's effective, but we don't exactly know. PCB is much, it's been much more documented, the effectiveness of it. And, but it's also just a brutal regimen. So how do you make that decision to put your body through this excruciating experience um, when it's all a guessing? We don't know. We don't know how our bodies right. are going to react to this. So I, I let a computer decide that one for me. And <laughs> yeah. Here's so I what I, I want to share a story with you too. Mm-hmm. Um, so the oncologist or the brain tumor oncologist, so brain tumor specialist mm-hmm. that I work with at Mayo Clinic and Mayo Clinic is a teaching and um, learning hospital as well. So there was study. So I'm in my, in fact, yesterday I had a question. I was filling out a questionnaire and one of the questions was, were you breastfed? And I was like, I don't know. I guess mm-hmm. I've never asked my mom that question. And so I had to ask my mom and she was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I made so many studies. Every time they handed me a study, I was like, yep, yep, yep. Take my, whatever, have access yeah. to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also did proton. That was kind of a no brainer. Once we talked about the benefits mm-hmm. versus the, you know, downfalls of traditional, whatever. And then, um, chemo, that was kind of a whole different story, but I ended up on the same chemo that you are. Mm -hmm. Um, But here's a story that he told me. He said that in his 20 years of being a brain tumor specialist, he is 17 years into a study of um, doing just radiation, just chemo or radiation with chemo um, on a brain tumor. And he said, here's what I can tell you that 17 years later, we know, cause it's been, it's a lot, that's a long time into a study. Mm-hmm. We're not mm-hmm. like five years in. And he said, when we take radi radi, when we do radiation on a brain tumor, and then we, even though the radiation can have a huge effect, just its own, why would you not just do that and wait and see and not add chemo, you know, and just leave the chemo for later if need be. He said, I know that from the 17 year study, when we add chemo to the radiation, mm-hmm. it doubles people's life expectancies mm-hmm. from what we see even in the study. And mm-hmm. so that for me was like, cause I have, I've had people ask me, why did you do chemo? Why didn't you go an alternative route? Why didn't you go homeopathic? Mm-hmm. Like what made you decide to put this poison in your body? And I've never thought of it that way. And I truly kind of get offended not offended, but mm-hmm. I don't care for it when people say that. Cause I'm like mm-hmm. this chemo, this medicine, which yes, has terrible side effects makes is healing me. And yes. it's, it's my life. So yes. if I want 10 years or if I want 20 years, or if I want 20 years versus 40 years, mm-hmm. please double my life expectancy. And so <laughs> after all those conversations, that was like, it was the hope. It was the positivity. It yes. was the it was the knowledge from the doctors and the people that have done these studies mm-hmm. that it was a no brainer for me to do both together. Oh yeah. I, to me, it was in that whole part was a no brainer too. It was like, yes, tell me what to do and I'll do it. I will do it. Yeah. I'm going to do everything I possibly can. You know, my little boy is two and a half years old. He's just a baby. So it was right. Um, so I, I really just kind of dove head first into the, the treatment part of it. My oncologist has shared with me too a few different times that PCV they have found continues to work. There's a benefit long after it's administered. Like it, it still oh. is killing cancer cells years 
after. And I think the same happens with radiation too. I'm not sure. It does. Up, up to, so I was going to share that. So, and it's so funny because we've probably heard a lot of the same things, but I know that I've missed pieces or mm-hmm. it's probably sitting in a notebook somewhere, but I've forgotten it because I get so forgetful right after chemo. Mm-hmm. But um, proton radiation, the, the statistic that stuck with me was proton radiation continues to work for up to two years after it's last administered. Mm-hmm. And then... So you take that combined with PCV, which you're telling, I don't remember the statistic, but I've probably been told, told this, that it continues to work long after it's been administered. Mm-hmm. So we, it's not like you finish treatment and then healing stops, which is really reassuring because there's this feeling of now what? Right. Like, if I make a mistake and eat too much sugar one day, right. or if right. I inhale <laughs> something I shouldn't, or if my husband does something to the yard, like. Did I just erase yeah. everything? And right. it's that reassurance that healing will continue for years after, which just puts that that hope in you that the reoccurrence is even years after that. You mm-hmm. know? Right. Yeah, with a awesome. with a slow growing tumor. Yeah. Which yeah. we have on our sides too. So yeah, I agree. I think that's all I that's all in the in the um in the adds to the hope column for me too. Yes, for sure. So how did radiation go for you? And did you lose your hair? I I did. I lost my hair um, on like about a third, well, about a quarter of my head. But I was lucky where the way that it was, it went all the way up to like the middle of my head. Yeah. So I could do this sort of extreme side part. And you could, and as long as a wind gust didn't come up, like I was, wind was not my friend. I could just, could do this extreme side part and you could barely tell um, what was happening. So I chose, I never shaved my head. I wore a lot of hats and, um, you know, I definitely, so that was, that was never really part of my, my experience. Cause I know that just can really, um, you know, when you walk, that's just a very visible sort of, um, marker hey I'm a cancer patient you're saying it every day to the world when you walk around with with a a shaved head I didn't have to deal with it at that point um so I know that can be sort of a a a a challenging thing to deal with do I shave my head do I not um but I just I hid under hats for a long time and I won't go into it because people that are listening can go back and listen to um I just did a podcast on radiation and hair loss Uh But I did lose about what you said, the middle of my head all the way down and back. And so I, I was told because my hair was so long and short, it was just pulling more and more out than what it needed to, but it was Uh also hurting. So I cut it super short um, Uh and I still half my head was bald. And so I just wore hats and I wore, I eventually wore caps as well. Cancer caps, which I Mm -hmm. never, at first I was like, you will never (laughs) have one of those because, because I felt good through radiation. So I was like, Mm -hmm. I look super sick. I don't feel super sick and I don't want the attention from that. Yeah. But, um, and now I have hair. It's short. I'm re I'm growing it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't look sick, but there are days where I feel like I'm dead. No, I shouldn't say I, I feel like I'm dying, but there's days where mm-hmm. I feel terrible. And I think sometimes my family looks at me and they forget like, Oh yeah. Oh, mom might be super tired or mom might not feel very good. Cause I look normal now. Yep. Just shorter hair. Oh, yeah. um, but I will tell you, if you're listening to this or anybody, if you're not caught up in my podcast, if you have any interest, I dealt with hair loss. That was one of the toughest parts for me. Hair loss was, mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of am embarrassed saying that, 
Mm-hmm. But yet on the flip side, I want anybody that goes through any part of anything to feel mm-hmm. whatever you feel, whatever you struggle with, it's okay to let that be your struggle. And hair loss mm-hmm. was a huge, it was part of my identity and yeah. it was a huge struggle. I still struggle because I want my long, thick hair back and it's mm-hmm. coming. I don't have to wear caps or anything anymore, but um, it it was tough and it was just one of the tough parts for me. So for I'm very sure. open about that. I think that's great. And it's, I mean, you're totally right. It's one of those ways where you might feel a little bit like, oh, okay, I have brain cancer. Shouldn't I, I should not be worried about hair right now. Right. It's not, or any kind of cancer. But the truth is, is that this is it. First of all, it's just a, it's a dramatic change in your life. It's another loss of control, right? Where you didn't want to lose your hair. and, And now this thing is coming in and just like taking it from you. And you don't feel attractive at a time when you're already just run down and not feeling great. It just piles up. For sure. Absolutely. So proton radiation went well. Did you feel good through it? I, um, I felt very headachey. I felt mostly pretty good. Um, and I mean, looking back on it now, cause I had no idea what was ahead with chemo. So right. I, I, I right. felt I felt good. Um, my energy was decent. I felt I, I had sort of sensory overload all the time. Like I felt like I was on the verge of a seizure all the time. And sure. um, I had a hard time with lights and being around crowds and just lots of stimuli. My, my brain just felt really unsettled for that entire period. And um, I had to go the proton center was two and a half hours away round trip I took the ferry there and back to Seattle every day so it was really it was six hours door to door for the whole six weeks so it was during this period I'm sitting on the ferry every day and um it was during this period that I really started to learn more about this cancer and I found these stories of hope for the first time and that, that was a real turning point for me in terms of just kind of healing emotionally um and and realizing that this wasn't a death sentence and i found mm-hmm. i found this great um forum cancer compass that was the, that was kind of my first place where i found some great stories where it was just page after page of people sharing stories of long-term survivorship and that's how i really that's how i kind of got myself through these just like long commutes to and from Seattle day after day. Say after that day. again. That mm-hmm. was, is it all cancers or just brain cancer? It's all cancers. And then you can search by type of cancer. So, and it, it's what is it called? It's, it's a called website. Cancer, I want to share. Yeah. yeah. It's called Cancer Compass. And, okay. and, um, if you search by brain cancer, you know, then you have a, it's all different kinds of brain cancer that'll show up on, or different, um, threads that'll show up on the forum. And the one, the one that really just helped me turn a corner in terms of having hope, there was, um, a man had posted a thread called what's your Oglio story. And he, I think his wife had it. I can't quite remember. I think it was his wife. And he, he, his post was something like, I'm so tired of just hearing about the negative and, and the doctors seem to focus on the negative and, um, share your stories with me. I know there's long-term survivors out there. I just can't shake this feeling that I'm not getting the full picture of this disease and that it's mm-hmm. more, 
optimistic than we think it is. And I just remember like, it was like the sun comes out, the clouds part. I just like couldn't believe these stories that I read. It was just story after story of, you know, I was diagnosed 20 years ago, 15 years ago. I've had three brain surgeries. I've had one brain surgery and no recurrence. I've had two different kinds of chemo. It was just like every different kind of experience under the sun. But the the main point was it was just person after person after person that was still around for me for a very long period of time. So that was my, um, yeah, I just sat there on the ferry every day, just soaking up these stories and I would read them over and over and over again. And so that was a real, just sort of, um, turning point for me in, in just learning to accept this. Yeah, for sure. And then chemo, how did that, I mean, you tell, take us to where you are today, because I think this is exciting. Yeah. So today I'm done with chemo. I'm newly done with chemo. Yeah. So I had my last infusion in January. Congratulations, and- by the way. <laughs> I didn't know it was my last infusion when I was getting it. <laughs> so it was a little anticlimactic. That's okay. Um, yeah. And so I did five out of six rounds of PCV, which is no joke. <laughs> it's such a brutal regimen. I thought I was going to do round six and I would have been done. Let's see. What is it? Early March. I would have been done probably last week. Um, mm-hmm. But my liver enzymes were very elevated and they, they still haven't recovered. So I actually never did round six. And so I got that news about, um, two weeks ago that I was officially done. And so since January, you know, that was the last time I've taken in any chemo drugs. I've slowly felt better where, yeah, a month out. So like end of February, I was starting to feel pretty good. Now, six weeks out, it's, I am like every week I'm, I am peeling back another layer of fatigue. I'm just feeling better and better. Just when I think that I'm feeling I'm back to normal, I'll feel even better. So you have that ahead of you, Jenny. Like it's just, it is amazing. I feel so good. I think part of it is I have newfound perspective and just gratitude for what it feels like to be in a body that isn't going through (laughs) chemo. I mean, I just, it's just amazing. I feel really, really good. I exercise every single day. I feel clear headed. I just, it's just really great. So I'm very new into my, um, you know, non end of treatment journey. It's very exciting. Do you feel too? I'm like, I just today was telling my girlfriend, so I'm just starting to feel, I was just looking back to see when I had chemo last. I literally, the major deficit that I know will come back that I have with PCV with the chemo is memory. It's mm-hmm. it's my kids and husband kind of tease me. Mm-hmm. My 40th birthday was the 15th. And I had it right around there. So I probably <laughs> had it right around the same time you did. I'm looking at my planner right now. See, I mm-hmm. can't even remember what the last date was of chemo. Mm-hmm. But I, anyway, I it do doesn't that. matter. <laughs> uh, it's just it's too much. But my husband and kids will like be teasing me or something. I'm like, stop it. And they're like, oh, don't worry. You won't remember it that we did this tomorrow. <laughs> but um, I, um, I'm just now like starting just, well, today's Monday. So within the last few days, like I still almost nap. I did I have not napped today and I won't now because it's getting too late in the day. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
but I feel good right now. And I was out and about this morning, kind of running around and do, I can do a little more each day. I have been going mm-hmm. on walks because in Minnesota, it's been really cold, but we've had some warmer days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I am so excited. I still, as far as I know, have round five and round six time where you were. I mm-hmm. think I have two more rounds left, but you mm-hmm. know, you never know because my mm-hmm. levels too actually they lowered my dose of chemo this last mm-hmm. time because it was so hard on some numbers. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I've done okay this round. So they'll probably keep it that lower dose. So I'm, I probably will make it to six, but that puts me at the beginning of summer. And I look forward to the way today feels like, okay, I'm starting to feel better. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to be able to make it through the day. I have some cleaner energy. I can go for a long walk and it feels good. And instead mm-hmm. of feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm completely wiped out. Mm-hmm. But then I have that, just like you're used to, like, next week, within the next 12 days, I will have chemo again, of course, depend, I have a scan on Friday, mm-hmm. um, an MRI, and then blood work, and we'll see where I'm at. But it's that, then it just knocks you right back down. So yep. I can't wait to be where mm-hmm. you are. Yeah. And to be like, I'm d- like, I'm starting to feel better. I'm just gonna keep feeling better. And then yeah, better and better. Too, um, yeah. Um, I worked out before I was diagnosed. I did CrossFit and I did actually, I did CrossFit on a Wednesday and Sunday is when I had my major seizures. But, um, I always had the mindset, like I, I liked working out when I was done, but I, I, it's not like I was like, I love going to the gym person. Mm -hmm. I had a buddy. And so that's why I went every time I went. But, um, do you feel like now that there's a different perspective? Yes. Like I get to do this, not I have to. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I've, I've felt that since surgery because I, you know, I mean, I had, I didn't have to relearn to walk, but I did have to rebuild the strength to walk. Um, and so that was, that was all taken from me and I lost that. And I just remember when I was recovering from surgery, when I have the energy to, push my body again. I will never again, take it for granted. That was just my own promise to myself. And, um, so throughout treatment, I've tried to do as much as I can. It's really spotty. Um, and some days I'll have enough, you know, during treatment, I, some days I had enough energy for a walk. There'd be weeks where I didn't, but now that I'm really, you know, recovering, I, it's a whole new Uh, It's coming from a completely different place. I want to feel strong. I want to feel stronger than I have ever felt in my entire life. And that's really exciting. I already am feeling stronger than I've ever felt in my entire life. I'm starting to do some strength training and it's just, yeah, I just think there's a gratitude for what my body has, has done for me that, that certainly wasn't there before, you know, and I'm just trying to treat my body as, as, um, as well as I possibly can. For sure. I remember feeling that way a bit after I was, after I had my son, just like, wow, look what you did. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and eventually you kind of go back into, you know, um, just some old habits. And for me, exercise has never been, um, it's been, it, um, spotty in my life. I've never been super consistent about it, but sure. now I just feel, I feel like I'm gaining so much from it. It's really helping me with my mental fatigue. I feel like I have almost no mental fatigue now. And I know exercise is playing a role in that. 
And also yeah. during chemo, I, um, I, I don't know about you, but I felt like an old lady the whole time. Like my, um, I was just extreme body aches, bone pain, and I was just constantly stiff. And, um, I mean, when I would first get out of bed in the morning, I just kind of like walked around like a, I don't know, like a mummy or something. And so I think exercise is just really helping me, um, recover from where I've been for the last seven months too with chemo. That's so crazy that you say that because I do, I do feel like an old lady and some of it's mental, uh, the way that my brain works right now. Cause I just have moments of like total, mm-hmm. I, I want, I'm going to say dizziness, but that's not what it is, but yeah. that's what it feels like. Yeah. Um, no brain. But my body also just, it's just different, like getting up off the couch or whatever, but yep. I did not have any pain. And that was something I kind of like bragged, not bragged about, but would like rave about until round four. Yep. Round four. Um, the I had round four <laughs> and I had, I'm going to say about three weeks of like severe, mm-hmm. um, it was mostly my legs, joints, and like hip flexors. The joints, it wasn't yeah. arms or that. Oh my gosh. It was terrible to the point where then I emailed my doctor and I said, mm-hmm. just a heads up, I'm I'm having this terrible pain. I can I can manage it. Tylenol would kind of take the edge off, but oh my gosh, I'd if I'd like sit on the couch and then get up to move, like I couldn't even stand up straight because my legs hurt so much yep. after and mm-hmm. you like limp when you walk. Yes. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, and the doctor said, we actually had pertussis in our house. One of our children were diagnosed with pertussis. I think the teenager had it too, but we swabbed him. Like he got sick, was really, really sick. The next one got sick, was really, really sick. And we went in and they were just like, oh, it's viral. And that this is totally off the topic, but we went back in and they actually swabbed and the little one had pertussis. So we went back and swabbed my teenager who was, I think already past the point of, cause he was getting better anyway. That scares one because I'm like, now we have mm-hmm. pertussis in our house, like whooping cough. And <laughs> we all got treated, and my lungs have taken I don't know how you were, but I had mm-hmm. it, it's been brutal on my lungs. And luckily, oh, we found a regimen where I'm doing really good now, but um, it was brutal on my lungs for the first few rounds. And like, like um, coughing or just yes, coughing, short of breath. Um, oh, I was, I definitely experienced that. Um, in fact, that's a lingering symptom. I still have the shortness of breath is just pretty crazy. It makes you feel like you're a hundred years old. Yes. And I, and I, um, so I wonder, cause I'm on Albuterol. What they first did is diagnose me with asthma. And then as we kind of went through things, I don't truly think I've never suffered with this my whole life, but my mm-hmm. kids, a couple of my kids do have asthma. So they're like, truly? You might have always had it, but you you just don't know. Like it's never mm-hmm. been very bad. Mm-hmm. Um, however, chemo makes it flare. Mm-hmm. And then I was on. Were you on Dapsone, the mm-hmm. antibiotic, to help with that? No, no. So I was I, on an antibiotic mm-hmm. to protect my lungs, but I had an allergic reaction to it. It was attacking my hemoglobin. Oh no! From the hospital. <laughs> oh no. So like you said, peaks and valleys and always issues that go along. But when I emailed my doctor about the pain, he said, oh, I think you're just catching one of the viruses that your kids has. That's not PCV is not really known for that. And I was like, no, no, honestly, this is um, this, this is something I've dealt with, too, for sure. And 
I really in no way mean to make this a knock against my medical team, but there was a lot of that where, oh, I think you have a cold or a virus or a, um, when I would kind of speak up about different symptoms. And I experienced a ton of joint and bone pain as well, muscle pain too. And I've, I've read about it online. It doesn't sound uncommon either. No. And I think it's kind of like childbirth because I kind of forgot about it because it did go away. So I had it for about three weeks. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, eight weeks out from chemo ending. I had it at the end of December. I did see that. I didn't have it in January. But um, I, um, it went away. And so now I don't have Mm -hmm. any of it. Like I have no pain, joint pain, whatever. It's went away. But I kind of forgot about it till we just Mm -hmm. talked about it. And I was like, oh, shoot. I bet, mm-hmm. that, I bet now that I've had it and you know, oh, no. it's cumulative and I'm like, I bet that's coming back too. Oh, stay away. Oh. Well, okay. Shit. Hopefully this will make you feel better because I had, um, bone and joint pain was a major symptom for me. Major, major that, that started in round two and through rounds, um, um, three and four. And I did not have it okay. at all in round five. Oh, wow. So I think sometimes things just, I don't know, they come and go. I found that my symptoms were just changing all the time and every round was different. Um, I didn't have any nausea until round three. Um, so I don't, and everyone's different and then it got better too in round, the nausea got better in round five, but it's just, the whole thing is, um, I don't know. I found it less predictable than, than I expected. I was really just um, kind of along for the ride. Like, Oh, okay. So that's what we're doing for this round. Sure. And you know, what's funny is people have asked me like, do I journal or like track symptoms so that I know like, okay, Mm -hmm. it's week three and I can have this symptom. I chose not to because, Mm um, I'm, protecting that headspace and I think that if I opened my planner just like just right now where I was like oh I kind of forgot about that for a while the boy the joint pain in my legs shoot now I'm like bummed (laughs) out that it's going to be coming back right Um, if I wrote it in my planner like okay week three post chemo is when Mm -hmm. I started coughing or is when I started this or that whatever I think it would put the idea in my head like, oh, in two days, you're going to feel like you don't feel good. I almost feel like I wouldn't feel good just because of the power of suggestion from myself. Mm -hmm. And And you're you're looking for it almost. Yes. And I have not tracked any of that. And knock on wood, and somebody explained it to me. Now, they're not, they're a Facebooker. They're not a medical person, but somebody Mm -hmm. explained it to me in a the way your immune system works and because your immune system is slow, you actually don't get sick because it's not inflaming your immune system. But since April, when I was diagnosed and now we're an overall pretty healthy family, we don't get sick super often. I never really have got sick super often, but we get the normal colds. Obviously we had pertussis in our house this winter, which was totally random. Um, My son had a cold a week ago I have now knock on wood because every time I say this, I have yet (laughs) to get a head cold, a virus, anything. And I'm like, okay, if I, and now we're going into spring. So I'm like, if Mm -hmm. I, because I feel like if I were to get sick, it would be really bad. And so if somebody in my house gets sick or has a sniffle, I get pretty major anxiety about that, even though nothing's Mm -hmm. happened so far. Um, 
it is How bad to be sick How on chemo. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, as, yeah. it's as bad as you're imagining. I had probably imagining. two bad colds. Um, and I had, believe it or not, I got a stomach virus during my, um, one of my worst nausea periods back in uh. round four. And so I, it was just, <laughs> I, had, I was like really the stomach flu on top of chemo related oh, nausea. Okay. It was, yeah, it was really, it was rough. It was rough there yeah. for a while. It's all starting to feel a little bit blurry and far away, which I love. I'll take that. Yeah. Just like the <laughs> childbirth thing. It does eventually yeah. get far away and not totally, like that. Yeah, that's the only reason why people have more yeah. than one kid. And it's, you know, it, it like I same thing with chemo. It's like, okay, yeah, I could do chemo again. It's all becoming blurry. And yeah, <laughs> you would forget. Yeah, I would not forget all the way. But yeah, right. Yeah, the edges are blurred. Well, I am so happy that you shared your story with me today. I just to talk with somebody and to hear somebody else's story who is so similar to mine mm-hmm. is just incredible. And I know that there's a lot of people that are very close to me who were really well, uh, many people can take so much away from your story and how strong you are and positive you've been, um, no matter what their journey is. But I am super anxious for people like my husband and my mom and people and some close friends that they've only heard my version of my mm-hmm. story. And you're so similar just for them to get that reassurance and the hope that you've given me too that we got this, you know, mm-hmm. that we have a long, healthy life ahead and that we can be strong. And mm-hmm. we can do something after there's life after this. And oh yes. Yes. I love it. I love it. I think you've I think you've chosen to deal with like maybe one of the hardest things that life has can throw at you in a in a really brave way. And I make that choice every day too. And at first yeah. it was at first it was a daily choice or even a just sort of hour by hour choice that I'm not going to let this thing just swallow me up. And if you do that for long enough, it becomes second nature. You know, you just, you really do just, you know, I really do believe in a, in a, um, as good as it can be outcome. And so I, I really appreciate and admire the, um, admire the way that you've dealt with it too. And I, I just relate to it so deeply. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And I think like you said, uh, and it's funny because some of the words you've used as we've talked, I'm like, those are some of the same words I use. <laughs> like headspace, protecting oh, yeah. headspace is yeah. so important. And I try to be super vulnerable because I get swept up in the bad too. And I have days where I struggle. And of course, my husband and children mm-hmm. see the worst of it. I don't, mm-hmm. I always yeah. say I share, I've promised to share most, not all, but I promise mm-hmm. to share most of the bad too. Um, with, with the people that follow me and listen and, and read the caring bridge and that. But, um, I think if we can just, like you said, protect our headspace as much as we can, true healing from head to toe can totally happen. And, and we can live a happy life full of gratitude and, um, and make a difference, even if it's just making a difference in the little people we raise. So that's that's awesome. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. Heidi, thank you so much for being my guest. This was awesome. I cannot wait to publish this. It'll cut, co- it'll go out probably within the next few hours because I'm that excited about it. Um, <laughs> I want to ask everybody that's listening to please hit the share button. Please share Heidi's story because um, 
whether or not it touches home for you as you're listening and what you take away from it, um, it may be the story that just makes somebody else feel like they have hope, whether they're going through brain cancer or another kind of cancer or any kind of tough journey. Um, if, if we can walk through this journey and find the light at the end of the tunnel and give ourselves a little grace and have gratitude about the life we're living, I think that that message can be shared with so many others. And so I want to just wrap up by saying you can always touch base with me or if you want to be connected to Heidi, just send me an email at stephasstrong at gmail.com and I can make sure that you get connected back to Heidi if you have questions for her or something she mentioned that you want her to elaborate a little more on. Um, otherwise, thank you again for hitting listening for hitting and listening to our podcast today. It was fun to do. It was super inspiring. And Heidi, I will keep the, I'm sending you all the positive vibes. I just can't wait for you to start this next chapter in your life and to be able to kind of share it and watch it with you. So through social media. So thank you so much. Oh, right back. Hugs to you. <laughs> all right. With that, we're going to wrap it up. Heidi, have a wonderful day to everybody else. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. 